Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 52-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Here's the toss play up Breaks a tackle. Touchdown. Touchdown. That's five for Chris Brown. Five-step drop. Sefo. Lufa wants the deep ball. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined as always with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. We kind of called uh, for an emergency podcast here, and I kind of wanted to wait for this whole Davis Webb saga to end so that we could just put a wrap on the whole thing. Tyler, yesterday when we were making plans for this podcast, I, I get a response from you that says, I honestly don't give a expletive. Uh, <laughs> Was it just the the longevity of the whole Davis website? Yeah, I mean, I, and I think it was just so obvious what was going to happen. You know, like I had kind of resigned myself to the fact that this was how this was going to play out a month ago when we found out he was taking visits. So, like the last month just kind of soured me on the whole situation. I'm honestly just tired of talking about it. I'm tired of people asking me about it. And I'm tired of people just like coming up with, ways that this is going to work out for us in the end like it would have been nice obviously if it did but it just seemed so obvious that that wasn't going to be the case that honestly it's been a while now that I was just like all right well hopefully Cepho gets healthy and we deal with it from that perspective I mean there are obviously parts of it that piss me off but like just I was honestly just happy that it was finally over with so I don't we don't need like we can have this podcast and we can move on. I mean, there's just... What would this be, like a cleanse or more therapy? <laughs> sure, both. What, what are we both, doing here? Both, I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those... The most frustrating thing about it for me is just, just so Colorado. You know what I mean? Like, this kind of stuff only happens to us, it seems like. Not, not Especially when you, you, you bring up the Sharon Jones right, situation Right, exactly. It's well. the totality of the situation yeah. rather than just this one specific incident, I guess you could say. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just... And now, of course, it's going to be even worse now because we see we see on ESPN Kuiper has Davis Webb as the number one overall rated senior quarterback prospect um, going to the draft next year, which I find a little difficult to believe. But I guess we'll see how that plays out. But I think people are going to be even more upset about it now. You said the writing was kind of on the wall with Davis Webb. I, I wondered at times covering this this whole saga whether I was put enough hints out there that things didn't look good for Colorado. You were following my reporting. Did did I do enough of that? Because, I well, especially last weekend, I, I definitely said to brace yourselves for, for bad news. But before yeah. that, was I putting out enough hints? I just, because you're you and you do things the right way, you also put out a bunch of 
things kind of hinting that, oh, the staff says he's coming, the staff says he's coming, and because yeah. Colorado fans are Colorado fans, they hang on to that, sure. those words more. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you've, you've said a lot of this stuff, but as soon as you give them a glimmer of hope, they hang on to that stuff, and I think that's why people are still kind of holding out hope that this would work out in the end. Not to say that you're doing it wrong or anything, but yeah. that's, that's what people hang their hat on, I guess I would say. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, there were times, especially after Davis Webb, the, the obviously the the initial thing was him visiting Cal, but then mm-hmm. the fact that Mike McIntyre went down the week following and there was no confirmation from Davis Webb at that point, you definitely I started to look at it through a pessimistic lens, and then when we found out the reason that it was dragging on so long is because it was a Cal grad school situation. Yeah, not only did it remain a very pessimistic situation, but it became I think for a lot of Colorado fans an angry situation at that point because no one wants to be somebody's backup plan. And it was very right. clear at that point that that's what the situation was. Yeah, and I mean, I just, it's not even really the result of the situation that upsets me as so much as how he handled the situation, I guess, for lack of a better term. He just completely went silent, wouldn't face any of the questions head on. And like, when you're when you're so confident about coming to, <laughs> I saw a tweet, actually, this is pretty funny, I saw a tweet retweeted from february when we beat cal in basketball and he had this tweet that was basically like what a great win like down goes cal blah 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 so i was retweeting that yesterday and i was like oh geez you know i mean it's just like one of those situations where he was he made it so clear that he was coming here only to back out later and not say anything about it until the day he was supposed to be on campus or you know whatever right up to leading up to it at least and it's like if you're not comfortable with your decision just say so and figure it out for yourself that way instead of just basically trying to sweep everything under the rug and thinking that by just showing up on another campus, no one's going to care. I mean, I understand why Davis Webb dragged out as long as he did. I think we all understand that in terms of not wanting to, if something happened with the Cal grad school situation, to not have a place to go. Obviously, that was important to him. But obviously, Darren Cheverini was somebody that Davis Webb respected a whole lot. That's one of the main reasons he committed to Colorado. If you respect somebody that much... You can't leave them in the lurch like he did with Darren Cheverini. Yeah, no, I agree. And he still, to this point, has not said anything about it on Twitter. You know, like, thanks for, you know, having interest in me or this is what I'm, this is why I'm going to Cal or anything. He's just been completely silent on the matter. And uh, to me, it just screams that he's afraid to face the music, which is not a good place to be if you're him, in my opinion. You know, like, there, there are plenty of ways to handle this situation, and he could have still gone to Cal with some form of grace. I don't think he did any of those things. We are going to talk more about Davis Webb because this is a big deal. It's a, it's a big topic. Uh, we want to work in some other topics as well. Let's make this uh, mostly a mailbag uh, a show, and, and we'll begin here with uh, some Davis Webb questions. You've got mail, 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 mail. You've got mail, mail. You've got mail. At Duffy Lewis 1. Chances Davis Webb is a buff on September 2nd. Zero point zero. That answers that. <laughs> yeah. At Sar- Aaron Lu- Sarcasm want- font tweet. <laughs> I would I would uh, say for that one. Zero. Just in case it wasn't clear. At Aaron Lott 303. More upset that Webb strung the program along even up until Tuesday night. How can Cheverini defend him? He's 22, not 17. I think most everyone has seen this tweet from Darren Cheverini yet, but I'll, I'll go ahead and read it here just for the few that maybe hadn't seen this. Darren Cheverini, after the Davis Webb news to, to Cal broke 
on uh, Wednesday had the, the following tweet. College football is about young people. Let's not forget that as coaches and fans. And then he had a graphic uh, with the following text. Proud of Davis Webb. That will never change. Was able to be around the young man for two years and saw how he handled himself. In the end, he made a decision he felt was best for him. We'll never be mad at someone for that. I think uh, Aaron Lott is looking at this through the wrong lens. He's looking at it from an emotional standpoint. Darren Cheverini, after he had that phone call with Davis Webb, was not a happy camper. But at that situation, what good does it do for you to come out and publicly bash the kid? It absolutely does nothing to benefit you. So take the high road. And yeah. so I think I think Aaron Lott's misinterpreting. Of course, Darren Cheverini's upset with, with this. The, the coaching no, staff I mean, is upset with that. I think if he was having a group text message with all of his buddies, Darren Cheverini would be singing a little different too. And like I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that tweet goes out there because he wants to be seen by potential recruits as an upstanding guy that has your back no matter what. I mean, you see what happened with the Texas A&M situation. That, that blew up in a hurry. Um, I mean, he definitely took the high road, but I think there's a little bit of what we're feeling in there as well, too. But he's just smart enough not to get that out there and get himself in trouble. And that's understandable, too. I mean, I'm, I would be on that side of the argument. I have no problem saying that I'd be a lot more bitter if it, if it were me. But, I mean, I think what I think he made the right decision to put that out there the way that he did because it got a lot of positive press nationally. It was embedded um, in ESPN right. articles all, exactly. all over the country. Mm-hmm. A lot of people saw that. Yeah, and that's that's the right move if you're supposed to be the face of an up-and-coming program. You don't want to look salty when someone takes a different path. You know, like you want you want to look as mu- as much in a positive light to incoming guys as you can, especially from Texas. And this kid's coming out of Texas too. A lot of those Texas recruits that we're going after are going to see that. It's probably going to open up their eyes a little bit. Where Aaron Lott says he's more upset that. Webb strung the program along up until Tuesday night is pretty much the sentiment of the Colorado fan base by and large. I mean, that's, I think if Davis Webb had uh, verbally committed to Colorado, but maybe hadn't signed that financial aid agreement and was kind of open from day one about visiting other schools Mm -hmm. and maybe even, even if it happened a little bit later, even if it happened mid spring and changed his mind, I think Colorado fans would would be upset, but kind of like the Sharon Jones thing, they would go, they would let it go a little bit quicker yeah. than, than they will in this situation. I think the initial reaction probably would have been just as big of a disappointment, but it would have died out much quicker as well. It really does come down to just how did you handle the situation more times than not. I mean, there are plenty of times where a kid decides not to come to Colorado for a good reason or not, but you know handles it with class and. Thanks everybody for the opportunity, and you know says I'm just making the best decision for me. Like people are disappointed, but they're not angry. Craig, Craig Watts Jr. would be maybe an example of that. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I mean to some degree, I think people are a little upset about that one too because it kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere. But recruiting is a totally different ball game in that regard because you don't necessarily, especially with Craig, who was not a guy who did a lot of interviews. You don't have as much of a personal connection. I mean, especially with Davis being on Twitter and being a transfer, there was a little more, you you knew more about him, you felt like, I guess you could say. But yeah, I mean, just being open with your process, I think just makes it so much easier for us and for him to get away with the decision that he makes. We got a tweet from at CU Goose when we threw it out there asking for, for questions for our mailbag. At CU Goose had the following message. Why? <laughs> yeah, that was a hashtag sobbing at the end. <laughs> that was pretty good to me. Uh, well, I guess simply put, because we're Colorado, and it, and it wouldn't be a, a month wouldn't have gone by if we didn't have to deal with something like this. 
I think that's a good enough answer there. <laughs> Buff in DC had the he wants us to go through the web timeline as best we can. Let's not spend a whole lot of time on this, but so Davis Webb, uh, well, it kind of begins with Darren Shiverini getting hired at Colorado yeah. in early January. Davis Webb takes a visit to Colorado, and uh, a big part of his decision to verbally commit to Colorado and then sign that financial aid agreement was a comfortability, a trust that he had with Darren Shiverini. He had been in contact with other schools, and he had told me he just didn't know 100% what they were telling him is true, and he only had one semester, so he wanted to go somewhere where he definitely felt that he was going to have a fair shake to be the starting quarterback, and so... He signs, he verbally commits, and then he helps recruit guys like Jawan Winfrey, which uh, is another frustration, I think, from CU fans. You, you have this guy that's so committed that he's actively recruiting for your school, yet he doesn't end up there. Um, and then it's pretty much silent after signing day, after he signs that financial aid agreement, until right around the spring game, the news of him going out to Cal for that visit uh, broke. Mike McIntyre goes out to have an in-home with him that following week. Davis Webb, uh, I'm told, was a little bit arrogant in that. It came off more that he's looking out for his NFL future than really kind of looking to help out a college program, which, hey, that's his future. That's his prerogative, I guess. But, it, I mean, it's it's liable to rub some people the wrong way. Davis Webb's father goes out to Cal, gives it his stamp of approval. And then from there, we basically have a waiting game with uh, him waiting on Cal's grad programs. And this whole time, he's telling Colorado what they want to hear, that, that he still plans to be in Boulder. And then... The news breaks that he's uh, going to go to Cal. I mean, did did I miss any big points in there? No, not really. There was a, a lot of time in between some of these story yeah, points. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I guess the the first four or five bullet points, and then the the last four or five bullet points. There's a huge gap in between there, you know. But which I think is possibly a frustration as well. Like you start to feel pretty comfortable that he's showing up, and then all of a sudden, because he saw a scrimmage with two of our starters not participating. He decides he's going to go play somewhere else. It just seemed kind of, I don't know, out of all the decision or reasons why you would do that, that was one of the more questionable for me to kind of talk about the fact that the offensive line was a concern for you. It's, you know what I mean? And then to, I don't know if this is true or not, but someone was saying yesterday in when he went to go see the Cal spring game, they sat their entire defensive line. Which is like, come on, man! How ridiculous! Like you, and you, to actually fall for that as well, like to not realize what's going on there, that that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like, come on, you got to be able to see through that kind of stuff. Yeah, the CEO line struggles got blown out of proportion. Not only you mentioned the fact that they had important guys that weren't participating. I got a text from a Cal reporter that goes, "There was 15 sacks in the spring game, right, at Colorado?" And I was like, "15 sacks? Where did that number come from? There's no way." So I actually looked up the number. It was two. I mean, they weren't live, so it's a little bit different, but there's a perception out in Berkeley that this Colorado O-line is is not just a question mark, but this massive disaster yeah. right now. Yeah, 15. I mean, we were all sitting there watching, and there's a couple. I don't, I don't, there's, honestly there's don't remember. There's two in the stats. Yeah, I don't remember it being that much of an issue, honestly, for the spring game. So, I don't know, dude. It's just, it just kind of, like, to be so petty that you sit your entire D-line to get a quarterback, like... That's just so ridiculous to me. And to not be able to see through that and be like, oh, wow, they're sitting there all D-line. I wonder why that would be the case. I don't know. It, that's just That just rubs me the wrong way. If that's true, I, like I said, I don't know for sure if that's what happened. But that's what people were saying on Twitter yesterday. And if that's true, that's pretty pretty soft. There are reasons to want to go to Cal. I think sometimes sure. that maybe gets lost from the Colorado standpoint because there's so much emotion involved. 
I mean, you can try to downplay the fact that Jared Goff is the number one draft pick in the country, but that's a pretty big deal for, for a kid sure. trying to decide where he's going to go to college. Yeah, man, I do. They did lose two or maybe even three wide receivers from that. Mo- most of their top well. receivers, yeah. Yeah, Kenny Lawler for sure. Um, the dude that I <laughs> talked about on Twitter, never even hearing of, got drafted before Nelson Spruce. Trevor Davis, I want to say his name is, who I still have no idea who that is, but apparently he played for Cal last year. <laughs> he got drafted as well. And I think there was somebody else too, right? That I don't I know. Yeah, I didn't I think, follow the NFL draft that, as close as you. Yeah, I think they had one other wide receiver gone as well, but I can't remember who it is if it's true. So here's the first question of kind of turning the page a little bit here. At Leepor underscore John, where do the buffs go from here without Webb? Dot, 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 Cepho? Yep, that's uh, where they go. I've reported this. Cepho Lufau's recovery has come along really well. And even on the scale of Liz Frank injuries, they're all very serious, don't get me wrong. But Cepho's was on the less severe end of that because there was less complications. It's kind of like, you know, you hear a guy tears ACL and he goes in for surgery, and sometimes they find cartilage damage, and it right. becomes a longer recovery process. Yeah, or- With Cepho, it was, it was a cleaner type of surgery, a better recovery. I am curious, though, Tyler, how they will handle him in camp. You want to get yeah. Cepho Lufau enough reps to be ready for the season opener, but you don't want to risk him to, <laughs> uh, you know, to injure that foot again. Yeah, I actually talked about this, uh, I think it was yesterday, saying that one of the, I guess, if you want to look at this with a bright light, the positives is that Steven Montez is going to get a lot of reps in fall camp with the ones you would, you would think, I mean, we'll see if maybe Gerke gets in there as well, but I, I think long-term that's positive for him because you're getting him more and more prepared to play. A lot of it depends obviously on how ready Cepho is. I mean, if he's a hundred percent by July, he'll get a lot of reps probably. If he's still kind of working his way back a little bit, I would think that they'll be very cautious with him until, you know, that first game preparation, probably they'll try to throw him back in there if he's ready to go. It's just going to depend on how comfortable he feels. But, yeah, I mean, looking at him at the spring game, he looked a lot more healthy than I was expecting, which was a really positive sign for me. Uh, looked like he was in really good shape, too, which was surprising. I mean, had even lost weight, it looked like. So um, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens. It's one of those things that, obviously, he disappointed a lot last year, but... There are a lot worse guys you could have starting for your football team than Cephalufau as well. My expectations based off what I've heard is that Cephalufau is going to be just fine unless he has setbacks. And that's impossible to predict at this point. So it kind of leads us into this next question. At Chase Cameron, he asked if Cepho is not healthy, who mans the ship? And that is actually a really good question. Jordan Gerke is at the top of the depth chart right now. He's the only guy aside from Cepho that's seen live bullets in college. Yet you've got this this potential with Steven Montez. Part of me thinks, honestly, the answer to this question is, if it's known before the season, you roll with the Montez, you let him go through some growing pains. If Cepho's healthy enough to start the season then gets hurt, then maybe you would potentially put in Gerke that he has some experience. Yeah, it depends on how far along in the process we are. If you still think you can make a bowl game, you probably try to run out Gerke and see if maybe he can you know, stop the leak a little bit. Um, before moving on to Montez if it doesn't work out for you. Um, but I, th- I think if we decide he's, that Cepho's not playing this year, you got to roll with Montez and kind of let him take his lumps. I think we both agree watching the spring game he's not quite there yet, but there's only one way to get there, and it's not by sitting on the bench. So I think that's the direction you're going to have to go. Obviously, a lot of people are going to be disappointed by that because it's hard to really see a bowl game happening with Montez starting this year, or at least it's less likely. But... 
I think, again, long-term for the program, that's the right move because you need to get them as many game repetitions as possible. This is speculation on my part, but Tyler, what would you think to this? If this is year one or two of this staff, they just roll with Steve Montez. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. And I honestly, I think that's the right decision again. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I agree with the notion that it seems like he needs to win six games to keep his job this year. But I don't agree with the fact that that's what should be the case. I know I'm pretty much alone in that regard. But um, I really do feel like they're making positive strides. and Just blowing up the whole thing and starting over is not maybe the best move. Obviously, I'll feel a little better about it should that play out and they find a way to keep Shiverini, most of the recruits we have, and Levitt as well, if the new guy's willing to make those moves. But for now, it makes me a bit nervous to, to say that we're probably going to blow this whole thing up again if it doesn't work out this year. There's kind of been this black cloud with the Davis-Webb saga. If that wasn't even part of the narrative this offseason, people would be a lot more optimistic about this program because of the recruiting, the facilities, yeah. the Chevrini impact, Levitt's you know, charisma out there. It would be kind of a different tone of where CU fans are you know, you know feeling in mid, mid-May here. Yeah, I mean, I definitely understand the lack of patience, I guess, at this point, because it's been a long time coming. I just feel like that they finally, in a couple years in a row, have made positive strides. And, you can, I mean, if McIntyre does get fired after the season, he will have left the program in much better shape than he came to it with, which is a positive. And some people will say that's not good enough. But to me, I, I think you kind of have to give him that opportunity to really get the ball rolling and, you know, obviously having this whole situation come through. And if Cepho was hurt, again, like, it's not exactly a fair shake for him. So I would like to see it work out for him and give him at least one more year where the schedule opens up next year as well. But I don't know if that's how it's going to play out. Just going back to Jordan Gerke, I, I know when we talk about him as, as a guy that could potentially see action this fall, there's probably a lot of Colorado fans that are cringing. They're, they're thinking about – some of his struggles in game action before he did have a really good spring game. Tyler, do you have any faith that he would still be able to improve enough to like be a, a solid guy out there in game? It's on, it's honestly, I honestly don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. That's that's the thing. It's hard to say, especially the quarterback is such a rhythm position. It's tough. I mean, when you spend most of your time playing with the number twos and then you're asked to be throwing the ball to the number ones that you don't have a lot of rapport with especially when it comes against Oregon every time you get game action. You know, like, obviously their defense wasn't great last year, but there's a lot of athletes on that team. So, you know, when you're a backup, I feel like if he got maybe two or three starts in a row, you would have started to see maybe some more success from him. But the problem is we don't really have that luxury. We don't, we, you know what I mean? Like, if he starts, he's got to be successful right away. He can't take four or five games to get comfortable. So it's a tough position for us to be in. I mean, I think he's, I think what I would describe him as a pretty solid backup. But I don't know if I'm ready to say that he's taking us to a bowl game. And contrary to what somebody in this Denver media market wrote, uh, Kate Apsay will not be manning the ship. Yeah, dude. I just, I'm not going to go too crazy on this, but it literally takes five minutes to like look at the roster and realize that you shouldn't write that sentence. Well, if you don't know that, maybe you shouldn't be writing about Colorado football. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just... That was bad. It was bad. I mean, and someone had to edit that as well. And, like, I know the dudes at My High Sports. I know that they follow CU. Like, you can't miss that. That's, you don't just, lump everybody in like, there in together because there are some guys that obviously know more than yeah, others. Yeah, but, I mean, someone's got to see that. 
Yeah. And it's like people are like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's like, come on, man. That You're literally showing me that you did zero research. Because if you did anything for that article, you would found that. It's just frustrating. All right, let's move along here. Um, at Bombers519 asked, what's the scholarship count now without Webb? So without Webb, you look at it, Colorado, and this is obviously barring further attrition here the next couple months, Colorado will enter camp with 42 scholarship upperclassmen. That's still a very healthy number, something we haven't seen out of this program in a long time. Now the question comes in here is with NJ Follow and Dino Gordon. Um, let's assume. Well, and Evan too, right? Um, there, and Samson and Josh Tupo. I mean, there's a lot of well, what-ifs. It looks obviously very good for Josh Tupo. I tend to believe that Samson Kafavala will be on the team. We'll get into this a little bit more later. we got some more questions about that. But let, let's assume Josh Tupo, Samson Kafavala are on the team. Let's assume Evan White, NJ Follow, and Dino Gordon aren't. Okay. That would put Colorado at 83 total scholarship players going into camp, which is a little bit funny just because every year when they, they oversign, yeah. fans kind of are like freaking out about the fact yeah. that they're not going to have enough scholarships, and it always works itself out. Um, if that's the case, I would assume that whoever wins the starting long snapper job, it's going to be either JT Bale or Chris Hill would be placed on scholarship because you are you have those two extra scholarships you're going to give it to well. somebody. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the situation. So if Evan White or NJ Follow came in there, I, you'd still be okay scholarship right, number-wise. Yeah, I mean, two of the three you still have room for if they did work their way back, which is good to hear. Yeah. But going back to that 42 scholarship upperclassmen, that, when people ask me why I would be optimistic about Colorado's season, that's always the first number I'm going to go to. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about that in the offseason last year of why I think people are being too quick to criticize him. We talked, I mean, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I had that chart in that piece talking about the, um, the linear relationship between having upperclassmen and being successful in the Pac-12 conference, and pretty much all the worst teams had the most freshmen. So, I mean, yeah, just just having that number of guys playing for you that have field experience is definitely a good way to improve the chances of you winning. So, I mean, for the first time in a while, we have that many guys with in-game experience with a little bit of veteran leadership on the team. So, I mean, that's just another one of those signs that I was talking about before with McIntyre kind of restocking the cupboard in the right way. We, they had the one year, uh, John Embry's first year, where they had 28 seniors, but that wasn't healthy in the sense that you had basically very little j- junior impact guys behind that. And a lot of them didn't play. To have this much, because I think it's like 20 seniors and 22 juniors, to have that balance, I can't really remember the last time because it was really the biggest issue throughout late during Nan Hawkins, uh, John Embry's second year, of course. And then early on under McIntyre, I'm trying to remember thinking back. Dale Hawkins had a couple of years where they had pretty solid upper class depth, but I don't know if it ever got up to 42. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but it's that's again another argument for me as to why you know firing a coach and starting all over, going to have that transition class. You're going to have a lot of guys transfer out. A lot of those depth, a lot of that depth disappears right away. It's you know it's tough. I mean it's you can't. It's hard to become successful when you're changing out coaches every two or three years. It's not long term success. Sand Buff had a question and some comments here. From a business point of view, was the web drama good for Buff Stampede? This is normally a slow time of the year, and I'm curious about how much the drama boosted website activity. 
there could be a confusion here that activity on the board necessarily is good for business, and that's mm -hmm. not the case. Right, yeah, I mean... You now with Daryl Scott, there was a lot of drama, and then he signed. That's great for business. That was maybe like the peak of Buff Stampede ever was that yeah. whole situation having the 15th ranked recruiting class. Um, so the web drama, by and large, yes, it created a lot of discussion. But I wouldn't say it was good for business, and it was a real yeah, no, pain I mean, in the butt to have to cover. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was so like be drug out forever. Um, I mean, it's, you know, you, you have to have good things happen in a program for the subscriber base to jump up, you know, all the stuff that matters to you. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was good for business either, although it does get a bunch of people talking on the boards, but you never really want, the more, <laughs> we talk about this all the time, I mean, the more negative the board is, the more frustrating it is for all of us. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's not my funnest, you know. The last month hasn't been the funnest for me on the boards, I guess I can admit that. Especially, too, because Davis Webb was so quiet that it was all having to, and really dealing with conflicting information. Yeah, he's telling Colorado one thing, and he's telling yeah. other people another thing, so that's like the worst thing to have to cover, and it's frustrating for fans because they just want very substantial information, but in this case, there, there's, two, there's two stories, well, it's, and it's like, what do you believe? Yeah, you know? it's total speculation, and of course, depending on which side of the fence you're on, those people that are, that like you are going to say, look, he knew what he was talking about, the people that weren't are just going to use it as evidence against you to say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And it's just like, dude, like I can only report what someone tells me, you know? Like, exactly. I can't read people's minds. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's frustrating on that end too because you want to be accurate with your information but if it's pure speculation it's impossible to do so the number of rumors that came across my email and phone like i had to i mean what i actually reported was so little because it was like again you want to get you know get fact check things but then how do you do that you know yeah, what I, mean? I think that's one of the biggest like misnomers about people in life that drives me crazy is that everyone feels the need to be right all the time like if and to me it's like I'm gonna have my opinion and if I'm wrong that's fine like I'm not expecting to be 100% accurate on everything that I ever thought you know what I mean like I have no problem admitting that I was wrong on something but some people just love to crush you for that and it's like you know what man like I had an opinion that it's, it wasn't right that's fine I'll move on and I'm cool with that in my job or you being a fan correspondent having opinions there's really no way to never have any yeah. Even like a week ago, I had somebody that was saying I said something that I never said, and I actually pulled up the audio from the radio interview I did. And it took me actually having to like waste my Sunday finding this evidence for them to finally yeah. let it go. No, yeah, I mean it's just one of those things that I guess you get more and more immune to it over time. That you get, someone's gonna think you're wrong no matter what you say. So yeah, it's just one of those things. And there's but, one fan that had a narrative that McIntyre was lying throughout this process, yeah, but. Like, I, I, I don't know how many more people I can get the confirmation from that. And, again, he's talking about McIntyre. Cheverini was involved in this whole process, and Webb was telling him up and until even, the night before And even before if that. he isn't 100% sure himself, he has to have that confidence. Like, what was he supposed to say? That, yeah, man, like, I don't think he's coming, but we'll just pray for the best. Like, is that what you really want him to say in an interview? Probably not. I mean, that I don't think that would have worked out very well <laughs> if he no. said that. No, you're right. Let's move along. <laughs> Boyd Buff had uh, the following to say. We got another uh, long read here. This is obviously very related to the web thing. Would love your breakdown of what Sefo needs to do to prove he belongs 
as a starter of a Pac-12 team, assuming he is healthy, and how likely is it he can achieve those improvements this year? Related, if Montez is needed, say Cepho gets hurt, how confident are you about his abilities? I know he was not ready yet at the spring game, but there is a lot of uh, time for development for a young quarterback if he's a sponge and dedicates himself between the end of spring and September 1st. And Boyd Buff also asked about Lufau's training with the quarterback specialist in Oregon. I did see Cepho's tweet about that. I'm going to have to do a little bit more digging in there. Um, in terms of kind of breaking down Cepho Lufau, in terms of what he needs to prove he belongs as a starter for a Pac-12 team, I know a lot of people will go to the turnover issue. That he really was the biggest issue when he was a sophomore, not quite as much as a junior. Mm-hmm. I actually don't think that's the biggest issue. I think with this new offense going up-tempo all the time, it needs to be just really being more accurate with the shorter throws. Because yeah. if you're going three and out in this offense, you're it's gonna bad it's bad for your defense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I actually agree with that 100%. I did want to start it off by saying, though, I, I feel like he's already proven that he can be a starter in a Pac-12 team. Like, I want to make that clear. I think sometimes people are saying that he's not worth starting. It's not true. I he's mean, probably he's, not a top half of the conference yeah, starter, but he's though. right there, seven, eight, nine. I mean, that's a Pac-12 starter. You know what I mean? And it's like you, Mel Kuyper had him ranked 18th among senior quarterbacks. It's not a guy who's going to go to the NFL, but there's a lot of dudes worse than him on that list. You know what I mean? So I, I think I want to remind people that he's like he's pretty solid. You know, he's not he's not that bad. So. Um, just started off with that. Um, to me, though, yeah, I agree with you 100%. He's got to be more accurate on the short throws, um, especially on the quick outs. He throws those into the people into the ground a lot. You got to keep the clock churning. You got to keep those possessions alive because, as you said, the defense is going to be on the field a lot if you can't convert those short throws. Um, it'll be interesting to see how. His issues with the long ball are affected in the new offense because with a fast tempo offense, I'm assuming they're going to throw a few more of those um, if they get the ball rolling a little bit and have three or four consecutive first downs. Um, He seemed to kind of calm down on that right before he got hurt, which is disappointing, but uh, he's going to have to get better there as well. But those are the the two for me. He's got to be – if you could get the best attributes – from last season and the season before. And exactly, combined, I was going to say that too. You yeah. have a really, really solid yeah. quarterback for me. Yeah, you you incorporate his improved ability as a runner right. from his junior season, and you get the aggressive Cepho Lufau from his sophomore season. You will live with those interceptions. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like them. And this is not meant to come off as spin because Colorado could have really used Davis Webb coming in. But Davis Webb... Had a lot of interceptions, too, when he was yeah, a starting no, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't think Davis Webb was better than Cepho, because I do. But I think a healthy Cepho alleviates a lot of the stress that we feel right now for what's going to happen with the quarterback situation. And then in terms of Montez, and he kind of talked about, yeah, there is, there's a lot of time between the end of spring and the beginning of camp. And Montez is one of those guys that will be like a sponge. He went back home to El Paso. He's working <coughs> with his... Old high school coach every day. He's lifting and running with his dad every afternoon. This is the type of kid you never have to worry about his work ethic and trying to get better. Kate Abse, that was maybe our biggest gripe about him, is that he didn't have that dedication. He had some physical tools, not to Montez's level, but he didn't have that that craving to get better every day, which Steven Montez does. Um, I think, though, the, the problem here is that you can dedicate yourself to getting better every day, but when you get out in front of live bullets and game day, there's just no way to overcome the, some of the growing pains you're going to have to go through in that situation. Yeah, definitely. And 
we, or at least I had some concerns about this last year, but in the end, there's not much you can do about it. He's he threw a lot of balls to walk-ons last year. The scout team, you know, that kind of stuff. It's there's just such a big gap between those guys and who you're going to be throwing the ball to as the first team quarterback that it's it's tough to make that adjustment, especially as quickly as he had needed to in the spring because he was really the, you know, he got thrown into the fire there with Cepho being hurt. And you could see he was a little bit tentative and wasn't 100% sure where to go with a lot of the throws, but he doesn't have any confidence throwing to those wide receivers yet because he hasn't done it. Um, if he is the only guy healthy in fall camp, uh, along with Gerke, he's going to get a lot of those opportunities, and I think you'll start to see him calm down. Yeah, and I, we both agree that Stephen has uh, still has a bright future. I think that mm-hmm. sometimes got, got lost in terms of his spring game performance, and even the improvement he showed throughout spring that the coaches talked a lot about kind of got lost because he didn't really. And now, if you just took the last couple series in that spring game, you could see him starting to get a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, out for there. sure. And of course, in a spring game, you don't have the quarterback pressure isn't there, and but he also can't run, which is one of his best attributes as well. So I mean, you get those powers that um, Cepho was successful with last year, and you get a guy who's faster and probably stronger, or at least pretty close, and is going to be by the time he plays, you know, he's going to be successful with that as well. Um, so that's a part of his game that you can't really show when you can't get tackled. They obviously don't want the quarterback running around because it's kind of a wasted play. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see once they get the pads on in fall camp when we get to watch him every day, just how quickly he assimilates to what's what's going on out there. And talking about all these quarterback scenarios post the Davis Webb saga, we have yet to bring up Jaleel Weenie. You always have that in your back pocket, mm-hmm. not necessarily as your primary go-to offense, but in a pinch if you need to move the ball, especially on the ground. Jaleel Weenie it prove, has proven, you know, in practice in, in briefly in that Utah game that he can move the chains with his legs. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see them put a couple packages in there um, to throw it as a wrinkle, maybe, in a game that's close that maybe you had a chance to win and you want to get crazy and, you know, do something that maybe turns the tide of the football game for you, it would be nice to have a package that you could throw him out there, especially in the red zone, because, I mean, it's a tough card. You never know what he's going to do. So uh, we'll see if we catch any of that in fall camp. I mean, they the, those type of wrinkles normally they do on the close gonna, practices. Yeah, but, I was yeah. just going to say that I, I personally believe that we will seal Jaleel Weenie behind center this year, but I also firmly believe you're not going to hear about it before it happens. <laughs> yeah. Moving along here, Dune1980R asked, which incoming freshmen do you think make an impact? Tyler, uh, I'll let you lead off here, and then I'll kind of fill in the gaps if I have any differing opinions. Okay, well, I think the two that come to mind right away for me are Johnny Huntley, um, and we'll see if he's actually the best wide receiver, but I will say he's, he's the one that fits the most immediate need. I've talked about this a couple more times. He's a bigger body, red zone target, someone that they don't really have – um, on the roster right now. Um, so to me, they're going to give him every opportunity to play right away. Um, I mean, I think you'll see somebody start at kicker punt returner, whether that's Anthony Joel Misi or whether that's Ronnie Blackman or maybe Trey Udofia. I'm not, I don't think I'm missing anybody that's most likely there. One of those guys will probably get an opportunity to play. And then we'll see how ready to go Bo Bisher that is because, again, he represents something that the current running back core doesn't have right now and that's power so those are the guys that i would see right away as having the best opportunity to make an impact i'm pretty similar the thoughts i had written down here ronnie blackman as a returner uh trey udofia as a backup corner 
Puki Maka as an outside linebacker specialist if NJ follows not on the team. I do think Bo Bichirat, uh will will have a need uh, in terms of just being the biggest back on the roster, like you kind of mentioned there. And then uh, yeah, Johnny Huntley and Anthony Julmis are just so talented and explosive, it's going to be hard to keep those guys off the field. Um, and uh, Dune1980R also asked, who do you see as a nickelback? And it's kind of an interesting question because the depth chart right now says that it's Afalabe Laguda. I still expect to see Cheeto Bayawuzi in that role just because it really highlights his versatility. But for that to happen, you need to have a healthy and focused Akella Witherspoon. For sure, yeah. I mean, I think you're going to have to have Akella playing really well, and then at the same time you want Isaiah Oliver to be fully ready as well. Because you got to have confidence in those two outside guys to slot your best corner. I mean, he's, a, he's our best corner into the nickel. Um, I think that's what fits him the best. It's where he can make the most damage, especially blitzing. Um, but you got to have a lot of confidence in those two outside guys. And uh, Alphalopi Laguda is going to play. I mean, he's a big hitter. You saw him play a bunch last year as well. Um, nickel would be kind of an interesting spot for him because he's not, ex- I wouldn't say he's quick. So that normally those nickel guys are super quick. Um, but he's a big hitter, and they're going to find a way to get him on the field. I think you'll see those guys kind of rotate around and pick up matchups. Um, Levitt did a good job of that last year, kind of playing guys where it was necessary based on how people were lining up. So, um, I mean, I think those are the two most likely. The, the only things that semi-surprised me about the latest depth chart was Laguda at nickel, just because I think he's needed more as a depth piece at safety. And I always thought Nick Fisher would kind of be right, yeah. your next option there. You talk about kind of that quickness element. I think he'd be a better fit in that. And then uh, Shane Callahan being backlisted at guard as a backup was a little bit surprising as well. We, we got a question about the O-line. I guess we'll talk about that a little bit more. But uh, uh, at TMEC15 asked, who other than Devin Ross do you expect to step up at receiver? What do you think, Tyler? Um, I mean, it's to be determined. I guess it's kind of a free-for-all who's following up Shea Fields. I mean, I think you feel pretty confident about him starting. And Devin Ross certainly looked like he had separated himself as well um, into that number two role. I mean, I guess it's kind of kind of be a combination of does Jay McIntyre get enough repetitions at a slot receiver? Um, you talk about Bryce Bobo, every time he gets the ball in his hands, he looks pretty impressive, but he just doesn't catch that many balls. And then, of course, the Juco guy, whose name I'm totally spacing on right now. Juwan Winfrey? No. Um, oh, KB Anento. Yeah, KB Anento, thank you. Yeah, Juwan Winfrey, too. But KB Anento looked good in the spring game, um, showed a lot more burst than I was expecting. And then, of course, obviously, they they signed Juwan Winfrey, expecting him to be the number one target. So you would you would see him being that, that guy. But we haven't watched him yet, so I don't want to get too crazy on my predictions there. I'm going to get crazy. I think Fields and, <laughs> and Winfrey both have similar stats in terms of receiving yards this season. And then That would be nice if they did. I mean, because you have Devin Ross as a three in that scenario. Yes. You feel good. Now, Ross that. might have more catches because he'll be in the slot role, a lot right. shorter passes. But in terms of big plays, I think Winfrey and Fields will both be kind of 1A, 1B there. Yeah, I, you mentioned Bryce Bobo. To me, the question there is, is does he show up focused and determined in camp because there's been – you mentioned when he gets in games and he gets the ball, he always produces, mm-hmm. yet he doesn't bring that consistency with him every day to practice. And as a coach, it always sends the wrong message when you play a guy that's yep. you know loafing in practice. So if Bryce Bobo shows up focused, I think he is your f- number four receiver. If he doesn't, I think then that opens the door for KB Nanto or potentially a guy like Lee Walker. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Johnny Huntley. Can he be ready for, for the bright lights from day one, you just don't know that until you learn so much in just 
the first oh, week yeah. of camp. Yeah, I mean, you know right away you, for the first three or four practices who's going to play or at least who's talented enough that they're going to be an impact guy somewhere along the way. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why uh, having spring practice was such a close was such a frustration for us because it really does teach us so much about what to expect. Like, people ask us all of these questions and we, again, have to speculate. So, once we get it, I'm actually really, really hyped for fall camp because it gives us a lot of that information that we crave and we can give people the right information when they ask. So I mean, to me, it's important to be able to do that. The best example of that, I think it took, and I say literally, and I mean literally, one play of Rodney Stewart in camp when you were like, wow. <laughs> okay, Ray Polk, go over there to safety. <laughs> yeah, he's going to play a lot of minutes for us, yeah. And even in that first, uh, I mean, this is so off topic and we're going back, but even that first scrimmage that camp when Daryl Scott got caught from behind a couple of times, you're like, what is going on here? This is not the number one ranked running back in the country. All right, moving along. At L underscore Jeffrey, when do you think we'll hear anything on Dino Gordon and NJ Follow? Or is it a foregone conclusion that they're gone? So, uh I think most Colorado fans are aware of the situation. If you're not, both of those guys were charged with three felonies, and they have a preliminary hearing on June 1st. It's not a foregone conclusion long-term, because if it was, McIntyre would have come out and already dismissed them from the team, and he's showing a willingness to let guys make a mistake, come back, earn their way back, and uh, try to correct those wrongdoings. But it's for me, sitting here right now, it's hard for me to envision a scenario based on some of those Boulder Daily Camera reports that either of those guys are going to be on the field this fall, especially, yeah, Dino, especially Dino Gordon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think of the two, you feel maybe a little bit better about NJ, but I would be very surprised if either one of them played this year, and I would still be pretty surprised if either of them played here ever again. I guess that's I could, how I Well, I could envision like maybe a Josh Tupo situation where the university right, gets might, involved. Yeah, and then, they might be gone for a year and come back. But even, I mean, that's more often than not, those type of situations don't pan out. So I'm not going to sit here and say I expect them to be back because I don't think that's true. But they have an opportunity to do so, especially NJ. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in terms of the impact, Dino Gordon, the impact would have been more long-term, not, nothing this year. NJ Follow, you definitely would have liked to have him on special teams and for yeah. some depth at outside linebacker. That's why I think all of a sudden Puki Maka is more mm-hmm. expected, more more likely to play, which is an interesting situation because Puki Maka has said he plans to come to Boulder for a year and then go on a mission. If he plays as a true freshman, I mean, I'm not trying to make this decision for him, but how do you how do you walk away for two years at that in that case? I can see right. coming out of high school, you go, you get that mission done, and then yeah. you come. I mean, I guess it depends on what's important to you, but. Yeah, I mean, it's not a decision I would make, but <laughs> it's not up to me, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, the NJ1 is tough because not only do you have to worry about maybe a freshman playing like Pookie, but you also have to rely on Addison Gillum, Kenneth Bodie, Ryan Severson, all these guys to stay healthy, and they haven't been able to do that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, and obviously, a special teams piece, that's always important. People kind of underrates about the importance of special teams as well. So for that one, that hurts. Dino Gordon, honestly, he had a chance to be pretty solid down the line, but we have a bunch of guys who had a chance to be solid down the line at running back. So that one doesn't bother me nearly as much. The NJ one, it's not great. It's the biggest issue there with a guy like Dino Gordon is you see a kid that had kind of a tough upbringing and 
to kind of maybe potentially screw up an opportunity to really set himself up for the rest of his life. Yeah, know, no, I mean, yeah, it's not, you know, I don't want to just throw him out there and say I don't care. It's just yeah. that. No, I, I got you. From, from an on-field perspective, it's not as big of a deal, but obviously you wish for his, for him on a personal level that that would not have happened. Both Fenty and at Scott Gauss both wanted a status update on Samson Kafavalu. Um, he is still suspended, but I kind of alluded to this earlier. It's it's looking promising. It comes down to Kafavalu taking and basically taping, taking the steps that McIntyre and the staff there have set forth to him. He's shown in the past he can do a really good job of getting back in the good graces. Uh, it's but when he's back in the good graces, it's him staying out of trouble that's been the issue for him throughout his career at CU. Yeah, I mean. We talked about this on the last last podcast. If he's not allowed back on the team, this is going to piss me off. Like there, it's just such a small, such a small thing. And I get that he has a track record and all that stuff, but it's like, come on, man. He's. I just can't get over. It. He stood up aggressively. It's like, oh my god, just stop. He was drunk. That was all, that's all that it was. It's fine. Like he could have gotten himself in a lot worse trouble. So I, I mean, even if they suspend him, I'll be disappointed, honestly. So we'll see how that plays out. But I feel pretty good about him being on the roster this year for sure. Give him the old uh, one-quarter suspension. Yeah, sure, yeah. Didn't they do – didn't Donovan Lee have a half-game suspension or no, something like that? George Frazier did. George Frazier, yeah. George Frazier had a half-game. And see, his was worse. Like, he got a DUI and he got a half-game. That's and I know, And I know George has never been in trouble before, but I don't know, man. Like, it's just hard to tell a guy that he can't play football because he got drunk and set up aggressively. <laughs> well, the craziest, the craziest thing about that half-game suspension to George Frazier is it ended up in a blocked punt to begin the 2015 season. Yeah. Because he was on the punch shield there. Okay, moving on. At Aaron Lott 303, will Evan White be back and get significant playing time? I've actually been asked about this a few times, and I haven't gotten a definitive answer here yet. When he, Evan White and Kate Apsay were both dismissed from the team, I heard the chances of Kate Apsay coming back were basically not going to happen. Evan White, potentially. And I've kind of continued to hear those rumblings, but nothing specific yet. So... I wish I could honestly answer that question, Aaron, uh, better than I'm doing right here. I will try to do some more digging and, and get to the bottom of that. But you'd like to see him get, get a second chance. Uh, I saw on social media that he's expecting a child here in October. You'd like to see him you know, get his life back together. Now, in terms of get significant playing time, uh, that would obviously depend on injuries. But he would be a special teams contributor if he was yeah, on Yeah, right team. away, yeah, special teams guy. But you would expect him to probably get suspended for a couple games, even if he does come back. I would think. Unless they kind of go, okay, missing all spring ball as part of that. Who knows? At MB2658 asked, how are the Buffs adjusting to the new Champion Center and Strength and Conditioning program? Uh, yeah, I hate to be so Pollyanna with this stuff because, you know, you say all this positive stuff, and if it doesn't show up on the field, then fans are going <laughs> to yeah. blame you for getting them so optimistic about things. But Drew Wilson is a superstar. Yeah. The players absolutely love him, and there are players coming in when they're not even scheduled to work out to yeah. enjoy these new facilities. Yeah, I can actually confirm that. Uh, Shane Callahan was at Blake Street two weeks ago, I think it was, and I asked him about that, and he said, you know, before, like, we didn't want to go and work out because we didn't like the strength guy. Like, it was just awkward, and he just – but now he's like, I want to go and be in the gym every day because he makes us better, and I really like what he's doing. So they do – that's not – some BS talk that you're hearing from the AD, that's real. Like, they like him a lot, and they're working hard for him. So, I mean, I, that's a good sign, I, I would think. It's not like I know the guy great, but just being around him a, a few times. Like, 
Drew Wilson is just the kind of guy you want to be around. His energy is just really cool. Yeah. Tegaz, is he, you, think, you think that's how that's uh, pronounced? Tegaz, Tegaz. 10. Where do you think our starting 11 on defense ranks in the Pac 12 and the nation? <laughs> in the nation, it's hard to answer. <laughs> There's yeah, a lot of teams. Yeah, I can't break down but, the, the nation part. But, okay, so let, let's assume, and this is a huge assumption, and maybe you won't even agree to play with this assumption, is that you have a healthy Addison Gill. And you have an in-shape Josh Tupo that, that's going to be playing a majority of the snaps in those. I see you smiling. I don't, <laughs> think you, I don't think you want to play this game. That would, I would think, put them close to the top half of the Pac-12. Not not at the very top, but yeah, kind of entry. Because they were ranking in the middle of most defensive categories aside from run defense last year. Yeah, do we remember what they finished in total defense in the Pac-12? I think it was nine, right? Yeah, I don't have those stats in front of me, but it was it – was, I think even a little bit closer to the middle of the of the conference. Yeah, I mean, honestly, without knowing all that much about the rest of the Pac-12, there was a pretty big jump for us last year, and I would expect to see a pretty similar jump um, this year for us, honestly. So, to me, especially if Addison's healthy and productive, you got to figure they'll be in that four to seven range, and you know, like middle tier, maybe a little better than middle tier defensively this year. Um, nationally, I, I know we moved up quite a bit you know, from one of the worst last year. I think we were in like the 70s in most of the categories. I think you would like to see a um, healthy jump up into the 50s next year if you see all those type of things. And you got to keep in mind, too, the Pac-12 is traditionally a more, more. it's like there's a lot of offensive juggernauts. Yeah, when you talk nationally, you look right. at the national stats. It's you, tough to compare, yeah. you know, because you're not playing in the Big Ten where the Offensive firepower is not quite as crazy, I guess you could say. Um, so, I mean, if you finish in the top 50 nationally, in maybe the Big 12 is the best offensive conference. Um, but Pac-12 is probably number two if, if at worst. So, I would say that's overall you would have to feel really good about your defense if that if you ended up 50th in the nation. And then, you know, guys like Cheeto Bayouze and Tedrick Thompson, either of those guys gets hurt, then all of a sudden your yeah. expectations here are going to drop. Yeah, I mean, obviously you have to hope that everybody stays healthy. It's probably not realistic, but it's hard to predict injuries, and I'm certainly not going to do it. So, yeah, I mean. The biggest thing they really needed to do, you saw a lot of times last year, like a Jordan Carroll would get in the backfield and finish some of those plays. Finish some of those plays. That's Because I think they were towards the bottom of the conference in in run defense, and those type of plays will kind of make the next step as Jim Levitt continues to to build this defense. Yeah, I mean, I think especially with Samson coming back, you – the top five on the defensive line you feel really confident about, and they all have good size at that point. So, to me, you would have to feel pretty good about where this defense sits, uh, you know, and if the linebackers can produce and improve. That the secondary is going to be legit. I think we're all pretty confident in that. So, At Buff Bites, who are the leaders on at each offensive line position beyond saying Lenat is impressing? I mean, who are the current ones? The current ones, I guess you kind of have to go a little bit off the depth chart that they released. In the, that says left tackle Jeremy Irwin, left guard Jared Coe or Jonathan Huckins, center Alex Kelly or Jonathan Huckins, right guard Tim Lanat, right tackle Sam Cronsage or Aaron Hagler. Um, I mentioned before that Shane Callahan's listed at second string right guard after practicing mostly at tackle this spring. The one objection I would have with this is the or with Aaron Hagler. I think a year from now, he will probably be in a position to be a starter, but he still seems like he's another year away in the weight room from being a Pac-12 starting tackle. Yeah, and I, I would be surprised if Shane's not starting too. 
I mean, physically, he's appears to be the most ready among all the guard and tackle prospects outside of Irwin to me. But, you know, I mean, we'll see. I, I honestly don't know as much about those guys. And in practice, it's hard to really key on them. You know what I mean? Cause, yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But I think it's a good sign that they're starting to feel pretty good about his top seven or eight. Um, we'll see if Huckins starts. That would be a bit of a um, upset for me as well. We'll see. I and then guess. Alex Kelly, I mean, you're – you're not going to replace a two-year starter unless he really dramatically struggles. I mean, if we do, you got to feel pretty good about who's replacing him, you would think. Hockey Adam 17, sleeper player to look out for fall camp. This is tough, I thought, because, I mean, in our last podcast, we literally went position by position and talked about every player. So, yeah. I mean, we kind of already shared our thoughts. Uh, I guess the name i written down, and you can tell me what you think about this, is Dylan Keeney in terms of a sleeper guy that the casual CU fan doesn't really know about because he – Hasn't really made a lot of plays. He was in position, actually, to make some plays. I was actually just going to say that. I was like, if they actually threw him the ball when he was open last year, he would have had a lot more yards. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's certainly a position where you would think that we could have some impact. I, I would throw Sean Irwin in there as well um, as a guy that, you know, doesn't get a whole lot of credibility from, I think, a lot Especially of Especially outside of Colorado, yeah. Yeah, for sure, as a guy who um, – has the potential to be a big impact guy. Um, George Frazier would be another one that a lot of people don't really talk about a lot that I think has the opportunity to be um, a big name. It'd be interesting to see. He's a junior this year, right? I'll be interested to see if people start talking about him as a draft prospect, if he has a bigger year. Because people, in the, like he's a, probably even too big for the NFL. But if he, uh, at fullback, because he's tall, you know, they don't usually like yeah. those tall fullbacks. But I think maybe they could try to slide him into a blocking tight end type role. I'd be interested to see if he starts to get some NFL draft type, if he has a good year this year. Could a guy that's not on campus yet be a sleeper? Kyle Trego, a guy that sure. we don't, just don't really know about? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, and of course, whoever whoever we decide is the worst freshman will also play as a true freshman and have an impact <laughs> as well, so... Which could be KB and Ento. We talked a little bit about that. People were not that high on him, and he—I think he, within five seconds, proved to be that he was better than most people expected him to be. So that could be one that stands out as well. You know who's a sleeper? Uh, not necessarily among the fan base, but on the depth chart, Michael Atkins. He's listed fourth at running back, yet he's definitely not the fourth most talented you, running back. You know, I don't. You know, I'm going to agree with that. I'm Michael Atkins, lone remaining, lone remaining big time fan. I think. Yeah, I mean. it's it's one of those things that if he stays healthy, he's going to get the ball and he's going to do something that impresses you. Whether or not he stays healthy is what remains to be seen. But when he gets the ball in his hands, he's pretty electric. The one last guy I'll mention here, if he put on 15 pounds from the end of spring ball to the beginning of fall camp, or even 10 pounds, 10 solid pounds, Timothy Coleman. Yeah, I mean, I love Tim Coleman. He's really athletic. And I will say that I love that they put him inside. I think it's like the same kind of project that they tried to do with um Michael Clay, no no Clay okay. Norgard. Um but he's much bigger body, similar athleticism though. I think that could work as compared to Clay Norgard. It's I mean, he did some good things, but he was just too small. I mean it, but Timothy Coleman has that similar athletic traits and he's a big enough guy that I could see him actually being really, really difficult to handle in those third and longs in, in that type of role. Boulder 8-Ball asked for a team injury update. Uh, so we already talked about Sefalufau. Again, I think um, he, he's going to be ready to go. The question is, hopefully he doesn't have any setbacks. Um, really, though, aside from that, safety, Jason Sanchez and walk-on Trent Headley, those are the only two major injuries at this point in time. And now I guess, knock on wood here, I mean, there's 
always some type of injury that happens in camp, and it just it's kind of like uh, spinning a roulette wheel. You hope it doesn't happen to a, a guy that that's tough to replace. Yeah, um, I mean, but going into camp, this is a pretty healthy team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll talk about the next question is the one guy I was going to bring up, so we can just go through that. All right. At Bob F. Wilson, any progress updates on getting a healthy Addison Gillum back? That would be exciting news. Tyler, this is all you. Uh, yeah, we all know that I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a hater. I just, I refuse to trust him being healthy at this point. Um, this is the third year in a row that I've had this argument and have sadly been proven right so far. I sincerely hope that he proves me wrong, but until I see him be able to stay on the field and not have that no contact jersey in practice, I'm just not going to trust it. Um, but I hope he proves me wrong. I really do. I mean, because it would be exciting news. He was a beast when he was healthy as a true freshman. Um, people have said he's uh, gained a lot of weight, um, so we'll see in fall camp if that's true or not, because I haven't seen him. But it so, looks like his upper body is definitely, he's good. put on some good weight. If you can get up to 235, 240, I'll start to believe it. Fair enough. At CL34 asked, have our JUCO commits been cleared by admissions? Um, so I've talked to Drew Lewis and I've talked to Jawan Winfrey. They're slated to be here. May 30th, before Trago, summer school. Trago already here, right? Uh, Trago will be coming out there May 30th as well. I haven't heard any rumblings that they aren't. I mean, it's I don't have the paperwork in front of me, but uh, I haven't heard any concerns there. So, yeah. At Jarrett Burrell, I wonder if it, that is the Jarrett Burrell that played for the CU. Anyway, he asked, who has more catches next year, Nelson Spruce or Paul Richardson? Tyler, you follow the NFL way more than I do, so I'll let uh, you to answer this question. Well, so um, I would say they're probably both underrated right now. I think I think healthy Paul Richardson will get some time. I mean, Ricardo Lockett just retired for Seattle, so that's important. Um, they obviously took Tyler Lockett as well. Tyler Lockett? Tyler, yeah, right? Isn't that? They have two Lockett's? I never noticed that before. <laughs> Interesting. But um, So he plays that similar role for them, but he's going to be more of a slot guy. And they'll send Paul Richardson out on those longer routes. I think Kelsey, he'll definitely catch 25 balls next year. I feel pretty good about that. It would be tough to predict that Nelson will catch 25 balls as an undrafted free agent. So I guess I'll say Paul Richardson. But I do, again, we've talked about this before in a couple of different podcasts. Nelson Spruce is in a great position for an undrafted free agent. The Rams wide receivers are terrible. Um, and there's not a whole lot of guys who do what he does among that wide receiver core as well. He's gotten some praise early on in the mini camps, so I expect him to make the team, but I don't think he'll catch 25 balls. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that at the end of this, but we'll do it now. Uh, you do a great job on this podcast. You started up your own podcast. I want to kind of give you an opportunity to kind of <laughs> give a heads up to people about that. Okay, yeah, so it's called Free Balling. Um, it's kind of, really, it's just about whatever the hell we want it to be about, so I think that'll be kind of fun. It'll, I guess, combine a little bit of what I do with you and what I do with Ryan and what we want to talk about amongst my friends as well. So there's, it's actually me and my buddies, Tyler Murray and John Linus. They're both on the Buff Stampede board as well. Big time Buff fans. And a lot of what we do will definitely be Colorado football and basketball related or whatever else we want to talk about. CU sports. Um, they're both um, born and raised in Colorado. So you can expect some Broncos and all that kind of stuff from them as, as well. But we'll also talk about what we love about Colorado and Boulder and, some you know some upbeat funny topics things like that that'll keep you guys laughing hopefully so it's just kind of a fun project for us and I hope people enjoy it. 
And we always like to plug the Blake Street Tavern on this podcast. I <laughs> had a chance to catch up with Chris Fuselay, the owner of the Blake Street Tavern, yesterday. Just like see fans listening to this podcast, he was sitting on the edge of a seat with throughout the whole Davis Webb saga. So I try to fill him in on that great guy. And the Rockies are playing some good baseball. It's mm-hmm. it's time to get down to Coors Field, and when you do that, go to the Blake Street Tavern, like I did here recently uh, for an afternoon game. It was the perfect afternoon. Go get a prime rib French dip. Go watch some baseball. The Rockies actually won the game with Nolan Arenado hitting a, a home run in the bottom yeah, of the eighth. Still, I mean, they lost last night, but they're still above 500, and they were more than by the by people the listen, by the time people listen to this podcast, that might not be the same anymore. <laughs> but I mean, they're on a tough road trip right now. I honestly feel like if they get three wins out of that road trip, you got to feel pretty solid. I mean, they're going from St. Louis to Pittsburgh to the Red Sox is a tough road trip. So, but they're doing pretty well. Their pitching is a lot better than it's been in years past, so that's fun to see. Yeah, you see a lot of people kind of, and not to go too long on the Rockies here, but a lot of people, they're, they're kind of conditioned themselves a lot like CU fans to expect you know, negative things to come. This Rockies team seems to have a little bit of a different DNA than, than some of those recent teams that have really struggled. It just it's The longer they stay in the hunt, the longer you're going to feel like this is a different Rockies team, obviously. Yeah, for sure. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs or anything, but the, people expected them to lose 100 games this year, and I can pretty much guarantee that's not going to happen. So it'll, it'll be an improvement over years past. Tyler, for me, they just need to win 72 games. 72? 72. Okay, cool. Looking pretty I good right now. I think they'll win more than that. Okay. I think they'll be right around 500. All right. At Bama Winnie, I think I finally pronounced it right. I called him whiny in the past. <laughs> How much does Chevrini's classy response help with our recruits, especially with what we've seen at Texas A&M? Already kind of talked about this. Definitely was the way to respond to that situation. I, we kind of touched on this earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I, I read the tweet and I just kind of laughed. You know, it's just like, man, some people are just so much better people than I am. You know what I mean? Like there's no way that that's how I would respond to this situation. But it but it also like made me really realize like wow I should try to work on this because that was like such the perfect response that I had a lot of respect for. But yeah. there's no way that I would ever convince myself to do that in a similar situation. So respect to Darren Cheverini. This is why he does what he does and gets paid a lot of money to bring big time recruits to different schools around the country and we're lucky to have him at Colorado now. For sure. J dub nine two five asked uh, about an over-under here. He set the over-under at 8.5 commits by the first game. There are so many recruits that decide in the summer nowadays. I'm going to go over there. Yeah, I am too, but I actually love that number. Do you? Yeah, I was like going through it and thinking about who we feel pretty good about right now. It's like I, I feel like it could be nine. I'm going 11. 11? 11. All right, so we're going to get a couple from guys we don't know about yet then. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Which is, I mean, yeah, certainly possible, but... Yeah, that would be. I mean, how many? You know what? Have, no, you know what? This is a full we, class. There's going to be a lot of offers out there. That's I'm what actually. Gonna, ask. I'm going to raise that. What was you going to be? Your I question? was, was going to ask. What's what is the expectation for how many that we're taking this year? Oh, full twenty-five. Twenty-five. Okay. Yeah. yeah then I mean, I'm actually going to raise mine up to uh, twelve. Now that I okay. think about it a little bit more. Yeah. Because uh, again, you, you you talked about the satellite camps, uh, the unofficial visitors in June, the guys that maybe haven't even visited Colorado but want but love yeah. the Buffs, have number one and want to get out of the way. Yeah, I mean, with that that camp, um, June 11th. Correct. Yeah, I th- I feel like that'll tell us pretty quickly how it's going to go for the rest of the summer. Do we also know? I know in the past they kind of shied away from doing official visits during the season. 
I think maybe we heard a rumbling they were going to try to do a few more of those this year. You're going is to that see, true? Uh, I think you're going to see some more of those. Okay, yeah. so that might push the number back a little bit because they'll be trying to get guys out into the September-October games. But, yeah, I mean, I, I feel pretty good about it being over, but I do think it'll be close. And, I, I mean, if it's 12, that'd be awesome. And I do know that uh, while it's not nece- it's not a bad thing to have some hidden gems, you know, in a full class maybe – I don't know, anywhere between three to five guys mm-hmm. in there. That's not a bad deal. But uh, they're going to try to put, because of these facilities and the impact we've seen with Cheverini and some of these other guys like Clayton Adams really kind of stepping up, uh, Charles Clark and, and Joe Tumpkin, they want to do these satellite camps, but they want to put more of an emphasis maybe than they have the last few years on getting unofficial visitors on campus, you know, the guys that they've offered, yeah. instead of spending the whole month just trying to turn over every rock. California or whatever. Yeah, no, I got you. I mean, I will say that I, over the years I've learned to trust them on these lower under-the-radar guys because, like I, we talked about this before, every year they come on campus and they're like, wow, this kid's a lot better than we expected him to be. So, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, especially in a class of 25, there are going to be some guys in there that you don't know a whole lot about, but... I think we'll be okay there. Our guy, L underscore Rod, your thoughts on the Millen Trio, expected timeline for announcement for each. How high is CU on Marcus McElroy Jr. as compared to other running backs offered? So with the Mullen guys, Christian Cumber and Isaiah Banks, who both have an offer from Colorado, um, have both said that they plan to do a summer decision. McElroy was the one that initially was saying, hey, I'm going to do it early or midway through my senior season. He's kind of changed that timeline a little bit, and I think you're going to see all three of those guys before fall camp opens up be committed to a school. With uh, In terms of Marcus McElroy, where is he compared to other running backs offered? Uh, for, for people that don't know this, if you've ever been in a, a recruiting war room, and Tyler, your older brother, worked uh, for USC, yeah, so you got to kind of see this, how this works. It's not – you don't put – at running back, you don't go one, two, three, four, five years. You have kind of tiers. Right. Marcus McElroy would be in the top tier, and he's been a guy they've been on for so long uh, since he was a sophomore. He might actually, if he dragged his feet for a long time, they might look to go in a different direction. But I, he's still at kind of in that top tier of guy, and I've always been really high on him. I think he's one of those guys. If you go to a camp or combine when they're in shorts, he might not be a guy that stands out to you. You don't see him go to a rivals camp and get one mentioned as one of the top performers. But you go to a Mullen game, that kid can play football. Yeah, I mean, I, just going back to my brother a little bit, what, how USC does it is obviously a little bit of a different strategy because they're USC and like, they can't not, o- they can't offer a hundred guys because ninety six of them will be like, "Yep, I'm good." You know what I mean? Yeah. So they have to be a little like you could on their board. It's kind of funny. They have a lot of guys who are committed to other schools that they love so much that they're still going to recruit heavily. I don't think we have the luxury of being able to do that quite as much. So it's a little bit different, but you're totally right. They don't have it like this dude's one, this dude's two. They have a three or a four-tier system about these are the guys that we really want and we'll wait on. The second tier is like we're going to offer this guy the kid now and hopefully get him to come. And then you have some guys who are just like we're going to – we like this kid, but we're going to wait on him and see how these other chips fall. So you can expect that to be similar for what we do. Um, you got to feel pretty good about where we are with all the Mullen guys. Um, I saw Russ Johnson had a 24-7 prediction um, yesterday about Marcus McElroy coming to see you, which is interesting timing, honestly, because we he had just had an article saying that he was going to go visit Kansas State. So I don't. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem. I mean, that's that's a fine prediction right now. CU looks pretty good for Marcus McElroy, yeah. but you, I would make a 
a crystal ball prediction or whatever they call it until he actually takes that trip yeah. to Kansas so State. Unless, unless that's one of his top two, and he don't. hasn't visited there yet. Yeah, so. yeah, that's why I agree. Unless he heard something that we haven't heard yet, I'm not going to say he's not coming to see you by any means. But it was just interesting timing that he felt so confident as to put it up right when that came out. But we'll see. I will say I'll be pretty disappointed if we lose him to Kansas State. That's that would, that would be a surprise to me. Well, you know, a good thing, too, is that all three of these guys are so close and that if you see an Isaiah Banks and a Christian Cumber commit to Colorado in June, they're not necessarily going to put a gun to Marcus McElroy's head and say, you have to come with us, but there's going to be a lot of... He's going to obviously think of CU in a different light than he does right now with, with those guys uncommitted at this point. Yeah, I would think if you if you get one of the three on board, you got to feel pretty good about your chances to get the other two, in my opinion. And uh, this is putting the cart in front of the horse, but you've got two talented commitments from Cherry Creek. If you got the Mullen Trio, I think that whole in-state recruiting narrative at least is put on mute here for, for yeah. a little while. There's a lot, few people out there that I won't have to listen to for a couple of years, which I'd be down with. <laughs> I mean, of course, Colorado's going to do everything they can to try to get Noah Ellis on campus, but that's good. That kid is basically he can go anywhere in the country. Yeah, he wants he's to. not a Colorado kid. I mean, he plays high school football in Colorado, but he just moved here. And I mean, that obviously we want him bad, but I, I would feel like the expectations on that have to be pretty low at the moment. And people will ask, well, what about Dylan McCaffrey? With the McCaffreys, like, you just never should set your expectations for any of those kids to go to see you, even though they've tried to recruit them. It just. Yeah, I mean, and I, honestly, I don't blame them. It's not like they're going to, I mean, they're going to Michigan and they're going to Stanford. Those are not only great academic schools. Their dad went to Stanford too, but powerhouses. I mean, it's it's hard to argue with those kids going to the schools that they're going to. So no hard feelings there for me. And speaking of Mullen and looking ahead to 2018, Adrian Jackson, who we've talked about before, who I just fell in love with last fall and was like, this kid could walk on to see field right now and play Pac-12 football. He's absolutely blowing up Ohio State and all these schools, so that's going to be a tough pull. The only hope there would be that if the Mullen Trio goes to Colorado and Colorado goes to a bowl game this year, I think that maybe is your only chance to get Adrian Jackson. And yeah. even then, it's going to be a, a tough drag-out type of recruiting process there. Yeah, I mean, I do find it interesting. You know, a lot of these guys go to these other big-time programs, and it just doesn't work out. I mean, we saw Paul Thurston, another kid that we looked at for a while, down at Nebraska, he's going to go play at Colorado State for his final year too. So, seems like a lot of those guys do end up coming back, which is kind of an interesting trend. So, if you were the head coach of Colorado, would you congregate all the in-state guys and tell them they shouldn't go anywhere else because they're not going to play if they do? No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't say that. It's just kind of interesting. The more information that's out, I there, meant, meant that more as a joke. No, yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that I would say that, but I mean, it's just interesting that a lot of them do end up coming back. I mean, there's been quite a few in the last four or five years that have transferred back to yeah. UNC. Most or, recently, Paul Thurston coming back to CSU from Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, and then there was, I mean, um, the tight end, totally playing on his name, went to Chaparral, transferred back to CSU as well. Mitch Parsons. Mitch Parsons, yeah. Yeah, and then obviously Shane Callahan is back here from CU or from Auburn, and Joey O'Connor from Windsor came back. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, there's. A good amount of people that have transferred back. There's a few more at CSU Pueblo in northern Colorado. but Oh, Leland Willingham, another guy. Yep, I mean, he yep. had uh, obviously some troubles with the law as well. But, I mean, there's a lot of guys who have come back. Well, that's one thing I've heard is, like, when an in-state kid uh, commits elsewhere in Colorado, st still recruits them, and you have fans kind of asking me, like, why would they do that? It's for that exact reason. If they had a great mm -hmm. experience at CU, 
let's say Carlo Kemp goes to uh, Michigan and gets homesick, like if you've done everything throughout his recruiting process to try to get him to come there and he's got a great opinion of you, that's you're going to go there versus maybe some kids that felt they were mistreated. They're going to want to go to CSU. Yeah, know? I mean, even um, speaking of Michigan, Chris Fox, there was a lot of rumors out there that he was trying to come back to Colorado last year as well. It didn't end up happening, but... More I mean, from a medical it standpoint. He, right. It does seem like there's a high percentage of guys that leave Colorado and then end up regretting it later. Yeah. I spent, uh, when I first moved out to Colorado, this is more than a decade ago now, I spent eight months out here and I got a little bit homesick. So I went back to Phoenix for like a two-month stay. I was still paying rent out here, still have my residence. By that end of that two months back in Arizona, I was so ready to come back to Colorado. And I kind of, kind of relate to some of those kids that transfer because you kind of – yeah, especially if you grow up out here, you don't appreciate it the way you do until you actually go somewhere else and see something else. Mm-hmm. You're from Cleveland. I'm sure yeah. it <laughs> wasn't well, yeah. too hard for you to just fall in love with No, I was place. pissed. Well, right. I was pissed when I left, um, honestly. And like within three months, I was just laughing at myself like, wow, <laughs> maybe should have slowed down on that one and yeah, yeah. given my parents a little more credit because, I mean... You know, you can say whatever you want. I love, obviously, Cleveland sports, but I don't plan to ever live there again. So, uh, Let's move along. At Kirk P. Schmidt, who is the next blue chip that the Buffs have a good chance at landing for the class of 2017? Blue chip. That Tyler Lytle as a highly ranked three-star and Maurice Bell, a top 50 California recruit, probably don't count for this. Or do they? Nah, man, blue for, chip for I, us, it counts. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot, most people think of blue chip as a four-star, star yeah, recruiter, um, five-star. So, I'm, again, spacing on the kid's name. The kid who's coming out with Bubba Bolden. Oh, Alex P- Perry, Alex cornerback. Perry. Alex Perry would be that's, a blue That's chip. the answer to this question. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, Alex Perry would be a blue chip. Because I don't feel as confident, obviously, that Bubba Bolden's coming. But Alex Perry seems to have some legitimate interest, and he's a stud. So he would, he would be the guy that I guess I would say for sure fits that billing. But, I mean, honestly, a top 50 California kid, if you don't want to call him a blue chip, he's pretty close. I mean, Maurice Bell, it would be a fantastic pickup. Yeah, there's no question the fan base would get crazy excited about Alex Perry or Maurice Bell. But Tyler Lytle would probably draw the most excitement given that he's uh, the position he plays at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, just the fact of the, the other schools, they just haven't been out battling other power conference teams for quarterbacks in a very long time, this would signify the next step in the progression. For sure, and, and the, your options are so limited there. I mean, missing on a guy at quarterback has such a bigger impact because there's really only 30 or 40 a year that are Division One worthy, or, I mean, or at least power conference worthy. So you got to be able to find one of those guys. So if somehow we miss out on Lytle or we miss out on the other guys that we're looking at, Garbers and, and um, Chase Cord, I mean – then you start to get really nervous. So being able to get one of those guys, not locked in, obviously, but committed, would be big. We're running out of time here, but uh, we got a few more questions. Try to get through these as quickly as we can. At Buffnick, I'm interested in the camp schedule and recruits coming to the Boulder camp. Okay, so um, I will have the dates and more info on the visitors here uh, as we get uh, we there's kind of this transition period from the end of the spring evaluation period and it goes pretty quick right into kind of camp season um, I'll have a lot of more information then uh, we do know satellite camps they will do one in Northern California at Contra Costa College there's going to be a satellite camp down in Southern California in the past they uh, hooked up with the University of Redlands um, I don't know if they're going to do that again this year again something I'll find out they will do a satellite camp in Phoenix 
Uh, we know that they're only going to have one camp in Boulder this summer. That's going to be June 11th. That's different than the past. Last summer they did two before that three. They are, for that Boulder camp, going to invite uh, CSU Pueblo coaches, Air Force coaches. Uh, what are the – is Fort Lewis in Colorado? Mm-hmm. That they're going to invite yeah. those coaches, um, basically all of the college coaches, except for CSU, except for CSU. which is awesome. They're on the schedule. <laughs> no, yeah. I, even if they weren't on the schedule, I just love that. <laughs> but okay, so uh, other satellite camps: two in Texas, uh, in Houston, and Dallas. Uh, th- last I heard, they were trying to set something up in New Orleans, but I don't know if that had been finalized. I'm sure it, it's gone one way or the other since then. Either they're going to do it or they're not. Again, I'll find out, um, and then they'll. They'll send some coaches out to Hawaii for a satellite camp and then the all-poly camp in Utah. That's, in terms of, like, the full staff being at, at, at satellite camps, that's whether they do New Orleans or not, that's around six or seven, which, again, kind of allows you to get out in front of a recruits, a lot of recruits, but not stretch yourself so thin that you can't have open dates to actually host uh, official visitors. Um, so in terms of the actual recruits coming into Boulder, why I wait to report on that is because it's so fluid at this point. There's a lot of kids that say they're coming to camp and then maybe for financial reasons or there's another camp that same day, they don't end up following through on that. And then there's a ton of recruits that will wait until the end of the spring evaluation period to actually set those dates. So um, it's kind of pointless to put a whole list together right now. Of course, we'll have random updates on Buff Stampede with certain guys. Like uh, I had just written about a, a Texas player from Denton, Texas that's coming out. So there'll be some names that pop up, but just be a little bit more patient in terms of the full list. And then, uh, Tyler, you were out there last summer with me at the, the Colorado camps. We did, we were able to get a lot of information about For basically sure. the, the important recruits. Now, there's so many kids out there that aren't CU recruits, but we'll yeah, I mean, filter you, through it a little bit. Yeah, you get – what's nice about it to me is that you find out what the difference is between a guy who's maybe a D2 and a fringe D1, 1AA, whatever you want to call it, and those power recruits that we went after. I mean, so obviously we saw three guys at that camp. Um, Huntley, Jewel Missy, and... Craig Watts was there. Oh, was he? He was there. Oh, yeah, he was there with him. And then I'm spacing on a dude from Denver. Pukimaka was there. Fua Patutau was there. Yeah, and the Denver, the Denver North kid, East kid, whatever he is, Denver or something. Tariq Roberts. Tariq Roberts, thank you, was there as well, um, and Chance Lytle. So, I mean, there was a good amount of guys who ended up coming to Colorado that were at that camp that we got to see live. So that was important for us. Um, yeah, I mean, it's fun. Um, kind of get to see how the guys coach. The player, A lot of the players come out, too, and volunteer and help out. Um, and this year, we're only going to have one, so I would expect the level of talent to be even better. So Well, yeah, the, kind of going in line with this, at Angry Ace Sports, he wanted to know what's my favorite thing about covering recruiting. Um, and actually, my answer to that is going out to those camps and going out to games and actually seeing these prospects in person, getting in to interact with their coaches, their parents, uh, the players, the teammates. It's so much better to evaluate them in those settings than going on huddle. Like, for instance, Dante Sparacco, if you went to his huddle page and saw his highlights from last year, his first year playing a new position, Missing half the season, you would go, I don't see what the hype's about. We were at that summer camp, and both of us were looking at each other like, wow, like this kid has yeah. got all kinds of potential. You don't see that unless you get out to these camps. Yeah, you? definitely. I mean, I've got a couple of buddies who have said similar things to me, like, I just don't really see what the hype is on Dante Sprocket. I'm like, well, trust me, if you were at that camp last summer, you would know what the hype is about. The kid is, first of all, massive. 
and also extremely athletic. So, I mean, he's still got the things to put together. He's played a lot of positions in high school. It makes it tough to really be great at one. Um, so now that they kind of have him dialed into what he's going to be in college uh, a little bit more, I think you'll start to see his development as a player take off as well. And then uh, Angry Ace Sports also wanted to know what's my, my least favorite part of covering recruiting. And that's very easy. It's it's trying to track down 17, 18-year-old young men because these kids, by and large, are pretty popular at their school. They've got a lot going on in their lives, a lot of practice, a lot of other coaches talking to them. And uh, so that's definitely the, the hardest part. Um, and then I would also say there's the time when, like, I mean, like anybody, like in their job, like you feel like you've gotten your work done and you want to go, like, go relax, watch golf, basketball, whatever. And then, like, news breaks in those times, and you're kind of like, eh, I was just relaxing. You know, that, that would be the other negative. Yeah. From, Mark, from, from your perspective, Tyler, what's maybe one thing you don't like about following um, recruiting? The one thing, I, um, one thing I don't like is, again, putting your opinion out there on something that's true at the time but ends up not being so. Obviously, 17 and 18 year old kids change their mind a lot. You hear one thing. Um, and it ends up not being the case and everyone eats you up for it. Um, those are the toughest because it's, you know, like I, I just wish that I could have some of these people like experience what it's like to try to get a read on what everybody's going to do. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit difficult for me. Um, and then also the other thing that's difficult is just watching everybody's reaction when people decommit or go somewhere else or something. Because there's just so much bias out there and, unnecessary hatred I guess for some of these kids too that are just honestly trying to make the best decision for them and I think people forget how they acted when they were 17. Moving along Kenny underscore Jace up actually a basketball question in here what will Tad Boyle do next since the player from Drake went to Ole Miss Um, and Boyle came out and told Pat Rooney that most likely they'll bank the scholarship I had heard there were a couple irons in in the fire but nothing uh, substantial in terms of guys that they were bringing out to visit and were really, you know, ready to jump in on. So that's kind of the situation. I, I'm sorry for kind of the, the short, bland answer there. That's kind of what it is. Now, we have seen Tad Boyle and at times. He can fall in love with the guy late, so don't rule out the possibility. There could just all of a sudden one day be some guy coming out to Boulder that we hadn't heard about before. Yeah, I saw a lot of people kind of get irritated with that on the board, too, and I just don't understand why. I mean, everyone that we were looking at, was going to have to sit out next year. There was no immediate impact help, and now people are salty that we're not taking him out of the scholarship. It's like, if you're going to wait a year, why wouldn't you get a guy out of high school that you can get four years out of to fill that role rather than a graduate transfer that can only play one season? I mean, to me, that's the strong way to go, and people are like, oh, class balance and all that stuff, but that stuff usually works its way out, and I mean, who knows? To, who's to say that we're not going to go after a grad transfer next year? or a Juco guy, or whatever it may be as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you don't have anybody that you think can make your roster better, you don't give them a scholarship. I mean, look that look how that worked out for us last year. I mean, we took a guy that wasn't going to help us, and he's already gone. So it's kind of a wasted effort. Another basketball question here. At Scotch underscore 77, can you talk about 2017 hoops recruiting? And at this point, there's kind of the main three guys to talk about here. And Tyler, I want to get kind of your thoughts on each of these guys. Deshaun Schwartz, he's a top 70 recruit across the board on all the different recruiting services. Uh, a versatile wing from Sand Creek High School in Colorado Springs. He uh, went out and is playing with the Kansas City club team that both Tory Miller and Dominique Collier played on to try to get a little bit better competition level. This is, a, again, a versatile guy. I've said he's kind of a cross between this kind of a, a – if you if 
you combine Derek White and Xavier Johnson into a player. Um, he's <laughs> is is that hard to envision? He's a left-handed no. he's a left-handed shooter. Obviously, he's not the tweener that uh, XJ is in terms of a uh, three and a four. He's a natural wing. But kind of like Derek White, he's got a very versatile skill set. It's not like it's not like you look at him and go, "You've got these two strengths and these two weaknesses." It's like kind of a well-rounded basketball game. Yeah, he actually reminds me a lot of Trayshawn Fletcher, which will probably piss some people off. But um, when Trey was coming out of high school, he was a four-star from a bunch of people, and I don't think he really developed the way that some people expected. But he's got a better body now, if that makes sense. Like he's already a bigger guy than Trayshawn was, so. Um, He's not going to wow you with his athleticism. Trey is kind of that way as well. Um, but he can use his body to score more efficiently in the paint. So I guess that that's how I would explain it to him. I'm not honestly sure that he's a number 70 player in the country right now. Um, I think he's a good player. He can play at the Pac-12 level. But honestly, you expect like a Bryce Peters to be better than him in college right now. But he's a year younger, so we'll see how he develops. But he's a guy that you want, but I think maybe... You know, comparing him to a Josh Scott coming out of Colorado is probably not fair for him right now. I think it's fair to say maybe the the hype got a little bit out there after he went to that USA basketball camp last summer. Um, but no, he's he's he is a really good player. Uh, Colorado has done an in home visit with him. They had all their assistant coaches there. Uh, you never know how the July evaluation period is going to shake out, but. I would honestly be surprised if Deshaun Schwartz does not end up in Colorado. The Buffs have been recruiting him since he was in middle school. He wants to play in the Pac-12. He loves the Buffs. Now Stanford's sniffing around there. UConn's in contact with him. It's hard to say if he takes an official visit to one of those schools, but I again, I would be surprised if he's not a Buff. Tyler Bay is a six foot seven and a half wing that uh, is part of that Middlebrooks Academy that uh, produced Lucas Seward for, to, to the Buffs elite defender it's hard to find uh he might be the best wing defender in in the class of 2017 now some other parts of his game are lacking but in terms of just that end of the court he's top level yeah we need that guy and you also don't see that guy on the AAU circuit ever so it's really interesting to watch his film and watch him play because that's not what you expect to see when you go to watch an AAU tournament at all but I mean he's a guy that Tad Boyle will love and fits perfectly into his system um I guess this is probably an unfair comparison because he's not as big of an athlete or anything, but you could see him playing an Andre Roberson type role for Colorado. Guy who's going to be, he's going to lock up whoever's on the other end of the court every single night. Really versatile defender, and he's got length, so he could guard a bigger guy, he can guard point guards. So it would be interesting to see how much interest he ends up having in us. Um, it's kind of early in the process for him. But. Yeah, the, the biggest concern there is that he just absolutely blows up on the AAU circuit because what you just said there, defenders like him, you don't see in club ball. So that's maybe, I mean, if you're a Colorado fan, you don't wish ill on the guy to have like a bad July, but on the other hand, you kind of do. <laughs> Cause, yeah, I mean, I think well, I, I've talked about this before. Um, Tad does a good job of fitting into this mold where a lot of college coaches are like, oh, he doesn't have a position and he can't score. What do I do with him? Tad loves those guys. That's like the one, he does a really good job of getting those tweener type players that in college everyone's like, oh, you have to fit into a certain position. And it's really, you don't have to worry about that to the NBA. People worry about that way too early. And if you're talented enough, you'll be successful in college. That's how I view it. Right now, it seems like his top three is San Diego State, Colorado, and Utah. Again, this could change uh, during the July evaluation He's period. He's a perfect San Diego State type player, too. So you got to be worried about them there because Fisher loves those type of guys. And they're, they're selling He's, the whole Kawhi Leonard. Exactly. You know. Perfect. I mean, they have that every year they have that dude in some way. 
I mean, they always have a long defender who struggles to score. So, I mean, that's the perfect type of system for him. So, it'll be. I think that will be a tough battle to pull him out of there. And the other guy I want to mention here is Ethan Chargois. He's a six foot eight and a half stretch four from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He uh, is planning to come visit Colorado. Again, kind of the concern here is, it, does Oklahoma State get involved? If that happens, it's going to be a, become a lot tougher to recruit him. Did you get a chance to watch any of it? He didn't play a full <coughs> yeah. uh, junior season, which is kind of set his recruiting back just a bit, even though he has got, started to get some more offers now. Yeah, I actually haven't seen a whole lot of, out of him yet, so I don't have a whole lot to say outside of that. He looks really comfortable shooting the ball on the perimeter. Um, but it, we're going to have to get some more film slash information on him before I can really tell you how confident I am that he's a guy that we'll go after heavily. And then, uh, you know, we'll enter this July evaluation period, and the next time we do a mailbag and get asked about 2017, we'll have some more guys to, mm, to mention. Yeah, we're kind of getting right into that AAU circuit time of the year where names really start popping up for guys that we're interested in. And lastly here, before we sign off, thanks for everyone who's still listening at this point, Dub 925 wanted to know, what's one thing you wish the board talked about more often? And I had a hard time with this question, and it, at the very end, it kind of boiled down to, I wish that Colorado fans had more success to talk about because it's been a depressing decade. Yeah, I mean, I, mine's the answer is basketball, um, but it's also I wish people had more appreciation for what they're watching right now because it's just they're just never satisfied, which is frustrating to me. And I understand that part of that's because football's been so bad for so long, and they're really starved for you know like a legitimate winner, but. From what the basketball program used to be, it, it just makes me sad, I guess, for lack of a better term, that people don't fully appreciate what they've got on that end of the spectrum right now. Well, Tyler, you had a birthday recently. Uh, yep. Can you share any uh, of the what went down with the celebration? There? Oh, it actually was nothing that great. Actually, on my actual birthday, I worked, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but on Saturday, I uh, had a few high school buddies over. Um, Will actually was with us, too, for a while. Um, just had some drinks at the house, went to a couple bars in the Highlands, had a good time. It was nothing too crazy. I'm getting too old for all that. No, yeah, all, just, all the crazy don't, stories. Don't older, Tyler. It's all downhill. Yeah, all, yeah all, the, all the crazy stories happen in Vegas now. That's the only time I can really pull myself together to be a whole ton of fun. Cool. Well, I think we talked long enough. Thanks again for tuning in. We will be back again with the show before you know it. Just gonna stand there. Watch me burn. Well, that's all.